0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change
1: on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, I'm Sandy Hunt, and I'm joined here in the studio by my fantastic co-host. Hi, I'm Nick Ashburn. Dollars and Change is live on Sirius XM 111 every Thursday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. And replayed throughout the week, we encourage you to check out the Sirius app. A great way to listen as you commute or Yeah, I use the Sirius
0: XM app daily.
1: It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And we're thrilled you're with us, listeners. And if there's anything that you're interested in and want to circle back to, you can... You know, listen on the app, check out what we said. We'll also be tweeting from our Wharton Social Impact Twitter, at Wharton Social. Um, and you can follow us at Business Radio, at Biz Radio 111. B-I-Z. Biz. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're also welcome to give us a call and join the conversation. We are available at one wharton That's one 942 7866 So we'll talk a little bit about the guests that we'll be welcoming on today's show. So you can think about... If you have a question for one of these folks, we're going to start today's segment talking to Daniel Schreiber. He's the CEO and co-founder of Lemonade Insurance Company. It might be easy for a lot of listeners to go like, oh, insurance.
0: Wah, wah. Is that how
1: I want to start but my day? honestly,
0: Sandy, like, I'm so pumped for this Me segment. too.
1: It's fascinating. It's very disruptive. Um, I hate insurance. <laughs> it's a very, you know, it's one of these industries I think people put blinders on and they're just like, it is what it is. I, I got to pay I, I gotta it. Pay I got to pay it. it. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a really interesting chance to talk about um, innovation in a space where Absolutely. we don't often see it. Then we're going to talk to Spencer Williams, who's the CEO of West Paw Designs. So we're talking about dog toys, which is very exciting. We are actually the owners of a West Paw dog toy. So. Eco-friendly dog toys. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and and I think a great example of social impact throughout a business model. So Absolutely. we're going to talk about if you are starting a small business How you can have social impact when it comes to your employees, production, and and probably talk about some very real challenges that one faces in making those decisions to produce domestically. And and I
0: think they're based in like Montana, Mm -hmm. so we're not talking about like a New York startup either. So you know, if you're listening at you know in Kansas, as my family does, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're thinking about a small business, like this is actually super interesting for you. Yep,
1: if you're my dog listening.
0: (laughs) Hey Kelly. Hey
1: Kelly. then we're going to talk to Kenton Lee, founder of The Shoe That Grows. This is a really fascinating shoe. If you're a parent listening, this is a shoe that grows five sizes um, and lasts five years. So this is mind-blowing yeah, as a you parent. Have,
0: okay, so you have a almost one-year-old, mm-hmm. which is crazy, first of all. Yes. But, like, they grow rapidly.
1: Oh, it Children
0: is. Children are growing so fast.
1: There's room for disruption in the model of children's clothing and children's footwear because they do they go through it so quickly. And yeah. they, I mean, you know, there's lots of great room for innovation in the space from, you know, consignment to sort of, you know, different like rental models and things. But this is really fascinating. The focus is on emerging markets and the the true medical necessity of having good footwear and having footwear. Um, but eager to see the social impact both in the emerging markets and talking about it sort of in more developed economies. And then we're going to wrap up our show with a conversation with Shireen Idros. She's the executive director at the Center for Social Innovation. Um, very broad sort of opportunity to talk about social innovation for anyone who's interested in what's happening in the space, what's coming in the space. Um, So we encourage you to call in for any of these segments if you're interested, or tweet at us at Wharton Social or at BizRadio111 to join the conversation. Without further ado, let's jump in and welcome our first guest, Daniel Schreiber. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Hi, Daniel. This is Nick Ashburn, and I guess, you know, First of all, Lemonade's an interesting name for an insurance company, but what is Lemonade Insurance?
2: Lemonade is a new kind of insurance company founded uh, back in September. At least we went live back in September. We've been working on it for a couple of years. Um, And we are an insurance carrier. So we actually reinvented the entire insurance stack. We started from scratch and built a company from scratch. And I can explain why we did that in a minute. Um, but it's a way to buy insurance for homeowners or renters for to insure your property through an app or through a website, just in a matter of seconds. So you download the Lemonade app or you go to the Lemonade.com website, and if you've spent more than ninety seconds getting insurance, you're doing something wrong.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I think that's very surprising for a lot of our listeners. You know, the process of getting insured is often a, a long one. So this is, you know, you've got our attention. So what was the? Well, you know, Sandy, the,
2: the the really amazing stuff is. is doesn't start when you buy insurance, but when you make a claim. Because, yeah, 90 seconds to get insurance is is unusual and there's zero paperwork involved. But perhaps more noteworthy is that the process is similar for making a claim. So we actually use artificial intelligence and chatbots to sell you insurance, but also to pay claims. And they can't pay all the claims at the moment, but about a quarter to a third of the claims that we get today are settled by our AI. And what that means is that you get paid from when you press submit to when the money is on, back on your debit card, takes three seconds. No faxes, no paperwork. What's Everything's a fax? literally that instantaneous. So it, it, gets, it gets pretty disruptive when you start thinking about not only the onboarding process, but the claims payment process.
1: Sure. And I want to get into the specifics of how you make that possible. But can you tell us was there a pain point, a moment, a sort of, you know, uh you know, <laughs> frustration that led to the creation and innovation of this company.
0: Yeah, because this is a huge, this is a huge in- industry. We know that most of the money invested in capital markets today. In, in the world.
1: In the world. Most of the money.
0: Is held by some kind of insurance company. So mm-hmm. you are not going up into some niche organization or niche, niche market, of course. Like you are going after the behemoths.
1: <laughs> so tell us why. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, both myself and my co-founder, uh, Shai Wininger, are, are newcomers to insurance. We've been in tech for twenty years, but we've we've barely consumed insurance and never worked in the sector. And when we were looking to do our kind of next thing. Um, We looked at different sectors, and when we came to insurance, we stopped. And it wasn't the obvious one, like you say. But when you think about it, that kind of – it rises to the top as being the most interesting challenge to take on. First, because of its size, like you said. So entrepreneurs, like investors, want big things. Well, insurance is measured in trillions. It's like 7% of GDP. And beyond the dollars, it affects every household, right? Everybody needs insurance. This is a universally consumed product. So you tick that box. Then you move on to the second one, which is perhaps more surprising, which is that this is a sector that is unspoiled by innovation. You know, we're in the homeowner's insurance space. The top 10 providers in the U.S. have an average age of 104 years.
1: Wow! Average. Wow.
2: Yeah, this is kind of the byproduct of the Industrial Revolution, and it's managed to ignore every revolution since then. So (laughs) on the one hand, you say kind of, you know, the bar is set high because they're behemoths. On the other hand, the bar is set pretty low. These are still working in very old-fashioned ways, broker-based, paper-based, faxes. So in that sense, it was um, virgin territory. And then the third piece, to kind of round out the, the answer, is if it's huge, unchanged, But everybody loves it. Then you say, "Okay, don't touch it. But of course, that's not the case. There's this reservoir of ill will towards the sector. Everybody loves to hate it. And as an entrepreneur, finding those three things, big, unchanged, and unloved, that stopped us in our tracks, tracks and we said, we've got to do something about that.
0: Daniel, how did you and your um, co-founder really ramp up to be able to create an insurance company? So actually, this is funny. Sandy and I have been hiring people in our Mm -hmm. office. We're hiring two people right now. And one of the questions we've been asking is, how do you sort of get familiar with an area that you may not be an expert in? So how did you guys ramp up to be able to say, we're going to create- a spoiler
1: for future interviews.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sorry, (laughs) Candidates (laughs) are listening. You know, how do you say, like, I don't know anything about the insurance market, but I do know technology and I do know how to run a business. Let's do this.
2: Well, ironically, we didn't rush in to to swat up on the topic. So we acknowledged that we know nothing about it. And what we decided to do was to milk our ignorance for all it was worth. (laughs) Do it. Yeah, we took took a a room with a whiteboard, and we spent maybe two months intentionally not understanding how insurance works. You know, we've got high school probability theory and a good understanding of consumers and technology. And we thought – rather than being becoming kind of blinkered by the conventional way of doing insurance because once you know something, it's hard to unknow it. Let's take full advantage of the fact that we are virgins in this territory. We don't know anything. We have no preconceived notions. How would we build an insurance company? How I would we that. like an insurance company to work? And what we figured out pretty quickly is that um, you know, it became an intellectual exercise. Why do people hate insurance? Why for hundreds of years, and there's records going back at least seven centuries of people <laughs> – bemoaning insurance <laughs> why is such an important sector that is so big providing what should be a social good why is it perceived as a necessary evil and the conclusion that we arrived at is that there is a conflict of interest at the very core of the sector when you nick make a claim of me an insurance company if i can avoid paying it to you then that dollar that i didn't pay you becomes profit to me Mm-hmm. And conflicts of interest don't really become more pronounced than that. I mean, we are literally fighting over the same coin. And we realize that it's difficult, if not impossible, to ever build a truly lovable brand atop that kind of conflict of interest. If there's a conflict at the core, the foundations of a business model, it is going to manifest. And sometimes people within the sector take offense to that. They tell me, oh, we're good people. Why are you saying these things about us? And I always say to them, you know, it's not the players, it's the game. I'm a big believer in game theory and in incentives. If the game is fixed, then it is going to manifest. And a big part of what Shai and I did during those two months on the whiteboard is say, how can we build an insurance company that isn't conflicted with its customers, that doesn't make money by denying claims? And we came up with a model that is very different, which is why we created a new insurance company and why we're not simply selling technology to existing insurance companies. We don't believe you can just sprinkle technology pixie dust style on top of a 100-year-old edifice and affect profound change if the foundations are the problem.
0: I believe there so, was a I I think what you're describing is I believe there was a rapper maybe Biggie or Dr. Dre that said don't hate the play, I hate the game. So I think you're I think you've really hit something there.
2: So let's oh, Well, thanks for the reference. I wasn't aware of that
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know you mentioned, you know, insurance is inherently a social good product. I don't think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of insurance. They think of it more as a necessary evil than a, than a social good. Talk to us about your point of view on, on why insurance is a tool for social good.
2: Well, at its most basic level, if you think about it as the notion of a community coming together, pooling its resources to help out its members who are in an, in a, in an hour of need, that is a social good. That is a fundamental social good, arguably the ultimate social good. But, of course, maybe that 's how insurance operated three hundred years ago, you know around the docks in London when Lloyd started in his coffee shop. But with urbanization and all the changes that industry and, and and society has gone through, it changed, and suddenly along came the big insurance company instead of a community cohering together to take care of its weakest members, it became big companies making money. Um, out of, you know, oftentimes fear-mongering or at least selling, you know, you, you know policies. And the whole thing changed, and that conflict of interest became entrenched. What we're trying to do with Lemonade is change that in a few ways. So we're actually a B Corp, um, and um, we, we are a for-profit company, but not only for-profit. And we do this uh, out of enlightened self-interest, out of a sense that we understand that for insurance to become lovable, and to be a social good and be perceived as a social good, it can't make money by denying claims. It can't be in conflict with its customers. And what we've done is we've created a structure whereby the underwriting profits, that money that's left over after you have paid claims, we don't keep it. We, we give that to charity every year, and we give it to the charity of our customer's designation. And that changes a bunch of things. If you think about it, Sandy, if if you're coming to make a claim at a lemonade and when you onboarded, when you bought your policy, you selected whatever it is, uh, um, you know, your local church or the International Red Cross or whichever charity you feel um, connected to. And then two years later, you come to make a claim and we remind you, we say, Sandy, please make a claim, not a problem, but please remember that unclaimed money is going to that, to your kids' school, to your local church, to that charity that you designated. It will bring out the best in you because instead of feeling that you're fighting with some company that you know, is in conflict with you, you realize that your actions have consequences and they have consequences that you care about. And conversely, we don't make, get to keep that money anyway, so we have no incentive to deny or delay your claim. It's not our money. We're not going to keep that anyway. We keep a flat fee regardless of how many claims are made. So by rethinking the fundamentals of the business model, we've created an alignment of interests, and we actually use social impact as a way to create a more lovable and aligned product and hopefully bring out the best both in us and in our customers.
0: And so I want to uh, go back to something you just said, Daniel. Uh, you mentioned that you are a B Corp. In, in the video I, I said you, or I, that I saw on your website, you also said you're a public benefit corporation. So are you incorporated as a public benefit corporation in addition to being a certified B Corp?
2: Yes, we are. So our our parent company, um, it's actually not legal for an insurance company to be, or at least the laws haven't caught up yet with the idea of a public benefit corporation. So we have an insurance company that is domiciled in the state of New York, but our parent company that owns that um, is a public benefit corporation and a certified B Corp. So we're actually both of those things. Got it.
1: And will you break that down for our listeners, what that means to you, what it sort of means like legally and structurally? Absolutely.
2: So a public benefit corporation is a a relatively new um, legal construct. It is like a normal profit company, except that that it is a commitment by its leadership to um, to consider considerations beyond profit. So it doesn't mean that you're not there to make a profit. You are still there to make a profit. But environmental impact of your decisions, social impact of your decisions, those are legitimate considerations. And that means that at times you may sacrifice a degree of profit because you say, hey, I'm going to be conducting myself in a way that is good socially, environmentally, etc. So it gives you a legal cover um, to be thoughtful of a broader array of considerations. That's a public benefit corporation. The B Corp part of that goes beyond that, and that is a, an organization that actually audits you. So while the legal construct, the public benefit corporation gives you licenses to, ha- to, to take into account a broader set of considerations, the B Corp certification means that there's an external body that has actually audited you and seen to it that in terms of diversity, in terms of environmental considerations, in terms of wellness of your employees and other issues like that, you are indeed living by um, the standards that you've set. So that, that kind of a, just like there can be a financial audit, there's also a social impact audit. And if you pass it, then you become a certified B Corp.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Daniel. Just a reminder to our listeners, you're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. We're talking to Daniel Schreiber about innovation in the insurance company and how to really bring out the social good that insurance was originally built to generate. And,
0: Daniel, I want to go back to just like the boring insurance market Um as you guys did ramp up and, you know, you said you sort of thought you, you tried intentionally not to think about how insurance is done as usual. At what point did you sort of say, OK, here's the actuarial science, which I'm already sleeping, thinking about. <laughs> but like, how did you incorporate some of that, you know, the science behind insurance into your innovative model?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, this is the nice part is that while insurance sounds, um, old school. And of course, in many ways, it is. And and you're saying it's it's putting you to sleep. (laughs) Um, It's a statistical product in an exciting sense, right? I mean, data, as a techie, as somebody working in the startup uh, world, data is what everything is about. And it's actually kind of cool to be working in in an industry where the product is statistics. That's all there is. (laughs) There is no physical product. So actually being able to Create a system that not only has a new kind of social construct and a different business model, um, rethinking, you know, using that 10 years of social sciences to rethink how you build the company. And Professor Dan Ariely is one of our founding team members and really using all of his decades of research to, to put that into effect. But then the, the second arm is using computer sciences, using artificial intelligence, using all that algorithmic work in order to better underwriting and in order to better the, the user experience, the instantaneous stuff, but also um, just to, get, to end up with a superior insurance product. But we did, that, we did that with the help of folks from the space. So there's a limit to how far you can use ignorance at some point. The <laughs> de- degree of knowledge is helpful. And we You can going, fake it
0: till uh, you make it a little while.
2: There you go. Exactly. And, you know, at the end of the day, we were seeking a license to become a carrier from New York State. New York is mm-hmm. rightly regarded as one of the most exacting regulators in the world. Mm-hmm. So to pass muster with them, it was um, cool to show them the technology and the vision. But they also wanted to see people with real experience. And we were joined by um, a guy who was the president of product at AIG. Um, our chief underwriting officer was chief underwriting officer at Liberty Mutual. Our head of claims was senior vice president of claims at Chubb. And so we were able to bring onto the team early on folks who were highly experienced and had spent decades on this. And by the way, to your earlier point about how do you mesh that, you know, those decades of experience in, in large behemoths with a startup, that was a real challenge. You know, when I, when I was putting the job description together for these people that we hired, I quite literally put on the job description midlife crisis as a requirement for the job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so So, great. We hear that all the time here on Dollars and Change, you know, people who are switching careers. And, you know, whether that's a quote unquote midlife crisis or encore career or something like that, we absolutely hear people making that career shift. So I I love that.
1: Yeah. So, Danielle, I want to explore you. You talk about sort of two types of social impact your organization makes. One is just the inherent you know, positive social good in insurance and sort of this collective support when someone is in need, and then also the give back model. Can you talk to us about how you measure success and how you sort of measure the impact in both of those methods of, you know, methods of change?
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's early days. I, would, I don't want to overstate anything. We've been in market for 10 months, but our um, give back, um um, happens once a year, mid-year. So we just had it, because June 30th uh, was kind of the mid-year point, so early in July we did our give back. and So we do have early metrics. Hopefully they're somewhat indicative of what the future holds, but at any rate, just over 10% of the revenue that we collected went to charity this year. Um, so th- that's, that's a big deal. For us, it's a matter of, of real pride that the model, and by the way, that wasn't us deciding to give 10%, it was just based on the good luck and good behavior of the insureds meant that there was money left over beyond what the modeling had suggested. And therefore, it was really our community and their care and and thoughtfulness that resulted in this you know, very substantial give back. And just to calibrate you, you, know, the Fortune 100, who are the wealthiest and best place to, to be charitable organizations, give about 1 per mil, so 1,000th of their revenue to uh, a charity. And for us to be able to give 10%, you know, 100x more um, in our first year before we've even made a profit, um, was well, as far as, I say, a matter of pride, and I hope we'll be able to continue that. Beyond the, the narrow metrics, we're also beginning to see indications, and I, I don't want to, again, overstate things. I don't want to say it's anything beyond that, but indications that something is different in the way the incentives align. You know, a fraud is a huge issue within insurance because of the misaligned interests. People feel entitled to embellish their claims, and it's not you know criminals from hackers from the Ukraine or whatever. It's people like you, Nick, you Sandy, and me who, when we come to make a claim, we feel entitled to embellish our claims. One of the things that we've seen just in the last few weeks is we've had four um, claimants, four of our customers, our members, who made a claim and were paid, returning the money, so they called us up and said, hey, you know, that laptop that I claimed for, it's turned up, how do I give the money back? And for the guys I was just talking about who have been in insurance for decades, they've never heard of such a thing. It's That's unheard crazy. of in this yeah. space. So that, again, to us suggests that something about this social in contract that we're trying to create, the, the, the lack of a conflict of interest, the idea that we're all in this together, there's a greater good out there, is, is, is playing out and is allowing us to get to levels of trust that if you know it doesn't have to be a hundred percent. I'm not saying that nobody's ever going to try and defraud us, but that the levels of trust that we're seeing and exhibiting are perhaps unusual in the insurance landscape.
1: Yeah, and as a, you know, as a, an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur, if you describe yourself as such, you came in with such an innovative model into this space that it is almost startling. I think for for customers, right, to be told you can get your insurance in under two minutes, and then your claims take this long, and it almost seems like too good to be true. And you're dealing with com- competition that has a net, you know, or average 100-year-old tenure, 100-year-old brand recognition. How did you break through to your customers? You know, what's your approach to to sort of getting in front of your target audience?
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right, you know. And, and I'll, I'll add to that mix that um, for many of our customers, particularly for our younger customers, first-time renters, um, we also oftentimes come in 70, 80, even more percent cheaper than the incumbents. So there's a lot of things to believe. <laughs> but what we found is that um, the, the traditional insurance way of doing things is you roll into town and you build the tallest building and you project your prowess that way. And you try and kind of project they've got tons of money and you'll, you'll be and, and that is meant to give people a certain degree of comfort that they're being insured by, you know, such deep pockets. Um. What we found is that that's kind of, um, I think that's run its course and today's consumers are not so impressed or bowled over by the fact that you've got a big skyscraper. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's starting to make them feel like there's a certain amount of greed or perhaps people taking advantage and we've seen a lot of different memes going around um, with kind of a, a counter culture against a lot of the Wall Street um, dynamics that people have felt have perhaps been excessive. And what happens is that people don't really think their insurance claims are going to get paid not because they think the insurance company hasn't got the wherewithal to pay it they think it hasn't got the will to pay it so signaling to customers that there is a different um, business model at play and that we do not make money by denying claims that there, there is a, an alignment of interest i think that goes a long way and the other thing that we've found is that people don't want to tweet or talk about their insurance. Insurance is a boring thing, you know, nobody t- tweets about it socially. But people are very happy to share socially two things. One is cool tech and the other one is social impact. So we're actually been really surprised by how much people, how much word of mouth is spreading around lemonade and how much people who buy lemonade feel compelled to just go online and talk about it because the user experience is surprising. It is so instantaneous. It is so playful. And you just see tweets coming out there, hey, it took me two minutes and it was fun. And, you know, that element of surprise translates itself into people sharing, talking, spreading the word.
0: Daniel, I wanted to sort of follow up on that and ask you, how has the industry response been to emerging competition? And how have your, you know, what are some of the conversations with your investors? Um, th- uh, we've been blessed with fabulous um, investors,
2: I-, I have to say. It's really been j- just a-, a singular pleasure working with them. So um, funds like Sequoia and uh, Aleph and General Catalyst and Google and Thrive have all been uh, backing us. And-, and this is a sector that has attracted a lot of investor interest. And uh, Lemonade, as I said, has been blessed with deep-pocketed and highly supportive and, and well-reputed investors. So that part has been Relatively um, easy and and painless. It's been really interesting to see how the industry responds, and the, the responses run the gamut. Um, I've had um, CEO of one of the largest insurers in the nation tell me that um, I offend him. Um, okay. And you know, yeah. <laughs> They've been doing this for 153 years, and how dare I question the, the, the you know, the, the veracity or anything like that? And I, I said to him, you know, really, uh, no offence intended, and I'm not claiming that our moral fibre is any better than anybody else's. As I said, it's it's the game, it's not the players. And if, if you'd stick me in that situation, I don't think I'd behave any differently. I I, I really believe that. Um, but others have been tremendously supportive um, and really intrigued. And uh, indeed, we're seeing some of the largest. Insurance companies take steps to try and uh, either mimic or, or parrot or, or you know adopt some of the things that we're doing. Um, I know that one of the three largest insurance companies in the world in, in the US had the CEO gather um, his 50 top lieutenants and show them a video of the app in action and said, "Hey, guys." the bar has just moved this
0: is now the new bar wow yeah daniel you do not offend me you excite me
1: yes absolutely (laughs) And, and excite our listeners we've actually got a call right now from jay who has a question for you jay welcome to dollars and change
2: hey how you doing folks
1: great what's your question for daniel
2: okay great you have things that keep costing more the cost of a house costs more the cost of a car costs more uh medical claims are just costing more But for uh, a driver, none of their stats have changed, such as marital status, credit rating, driving records, zip code that they live in, but you're getting these premium increases. How do you guys balance that? Um, We don't don't sell car insurance, I should say. We're doing home insurance, so homeowners and renters. And what we're finding is that we're actually, there is huge savings to be had in insurance. Let me just give you a sense. in, in in the U.S., in homeowners insurance and property and casualty insurance in general, roughly about a third of every set dollar that you pay an insurance company is spent on themselves, um, on their bonuses, on their salaries, on the rent, on the private jets, on the brokers, on all of that.
0: I'm furious.
2: Now, <laughs> yeah. So I think that that is about 10 times higher than it should be. And it's, again, reflective of the traditional old-fashioned kind of business models. Um, Another 12 cents on the dollar are spent on the bureaucracy of handling claims, not on paying your claims, on all that paperwork and all of the bureaucracy of handling claims. You add this up, you're almost at 50 cents on the dollar just on that stuff. So I do think that we have the privilege. I I don't know how to affect deep change, and as I say, a 100 year old company. It's tough. It's genuinely tough. These are not. It, you know, they're not ill-willed people that, that like to do the right thing, but it's hard when you've got this behemoth doing tens of billions of dollars and established a long time ago, genuinely hard to affect change. But we have the privilege of starting from scratch and using AI and, you know, bots instead of brokers. Um, and that allows us to suck out a lot of the expenses from the system.
0: It sounds to me like, you know, if I can go back to Jay, too, it, it sounds like this is a passion point. This is a potential pain point, And... You know, Daniel, it really sounds like you've you've hit a nerve in a a positive way. I mean, you're saying like I have, you know, my company can change how we do things. And I think that's just tremendously exciting. And, you know, I I tweeted about your company um, right before the show. And so I am one of those people who have now tweeted about insurance.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> having probably previously not tweeted about insurance—that's
0: absolutely correct.
1: Um, so, Daniel, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for opening our eyes to innovation and sort of reminding us that some of these biggest and and sort of staudiest and oldest. Um, parts of the economy are just ripe for innovation. Um, for our listeners, be sure to follow us and check out all that we tweet and share about this conversation and about this amazing company, Lemonade. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Spencer Williams, CEO of Westpaw Design, about starting small businesses, growing them domestically, and caring for your pets. This is Dollars and Change. Thanks for being with us. For more insight from Business Radio...